UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. Hey, hey, Chiefs Kingdom, you got to fight for your right. Well, this is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. There's going to be a parade. It'll be Wednesday in downtown Kansas City, and it's going to be a blast. Here to tell us and give us all the details of another parade for the ages is the city manager of Kansas City, and that's Brian Platt. Brian, welcome back. Good to see you. Thanks for having me again, Steve. You know, so much good going on in town right now. It's not just the victory that puts you, you know, in this spirit. Tell us, there's just so much happening right now. What an exciting moment for this city. No We've got kidding. so many great things going on. This Super Bowl is one of just a handful of things that we have. We've got a new single terminal airport opening uh, later this month. We're launching a new uh, technology-based transit service this spring. Uh, the NFL draft is coming to town. The first women's sports arena in the country is opening at God, the end of this just year. Just amazing, and, yeah. and the World Cup in a few years. The, the list goes on and on. And these are all things that every city would would crave just one of those things yeah. in, a, in a career for a mayor or a term for a city manager. And we've got all of them in the next few years here. It's and did you mention the NFL draft? Was yeah. that on the list? Yeah. yeah. Where did the city manager of a Super Bowl winning city, where do you watch a game like this? Uh, a variety of different places. I think, you know, sometimes some of the big events can turn into a little bit of a stressful moment, having just a lot of work questions. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just wanted to watch the game. I mean, just what a what yeah. an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. How much fun was that for you? <laughs> you know, it, it was it was so fun to watch the game, but uh, the the challenge was right after the game, thinking immediately about planning a parade and getting the city ready for the events and festivities of this entire week. Well, so you mentioned the parade. It's going to be Wednesday. What time are things going to get kicked off here? Parade will be Wednesday. It will start at noon in River Market. It will go down Grand Street to Pershing. Mm-hmm hang a right and head to Union Station. Uh, the festivities there will be a rally around 1.45 uh, for about an hour. Uh, we will, uh, so obviously there's going to be a lot of traffic and congestion issues in the downtown area. Because of that, we are going to have uh, five park and rides provided by the KCATA. Uh, Worlds of Fun, Hy-Vee Arena, Oak Park Mall, uh, working on something 47th at State Line and Swope Park in the zoo parking lot there. Right. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of coordination. Those will go 7.30 in the morning until 11.30, uh, and then after the events, they will run until everyone is back where they got to go. Uh, we will have regular city services. We will have regular trash collection and recycling collection that day. Just going to maybe take a little bit longer. And also, you know, the city never sleeps. We've got a potential for a snowstorm Thursday. We are not going to be oh, resting and right? enjoying this. Uh, we will likely be uh, limiting city hall offices and operations just because of the location of City Hall, but otherwise most services will be uh, in place. And we've got a website where you can go to find all this information, chiefsparade.com. Uh, and also, if you're looking to sign up for text notifications about the parade, text KC Parade to 888 777. You're hearing it all first 
on KCUR. Well, there you go. I hope we get that up on our website uh, later on this morning. So just hearing you describe all this, the logistics of an operation like this strike me as close to overwhelming. <laughs> a lot of people working really hard to pull this together on short yeah. notice. Here. Yeah, and, and you know what? We, we've been planning this. We've got a great team at the Sports Commission, Visit KC, uh, uh, all of our OEM staff. The entire city comes together with something like this. And we didn't start last night. We started weeks ago, and every time the Chiefs are even getting close in the playoffs, and any city, to be frank, this this conversation is already ongoing. It's not just a cut and paste, a copy and paste from years past. There are always additional logistics and issues and things that you have to think about uh, and orders to be made. For example, these buses that everyone will be riding on, we need more than 30 of them, and we don't have them in the area. They have to come from some other place. We have to wrap them with logos. Wow. So that's something wow. that orders have to get made for that, deposits have to get made for that weeks in advance. So we've been talking about this for a month or so now at this hey, point. How will this parade differ in any way from the one four years ago? What do you have any sense? Because you weren't here four years. I was ago. not. I yeah. was not. I was watching from afar, thinking, "Is this a place I should move to <laughs> and get a job here?" Uh, it was actually right around when I was applying for this job. Actually, mm-hmm. so I was like, "Oh, this could be a fun place." They right. win Super Bowls all the time. You know, right, right, right. Uh, you know, not a lot's going to change. Uh, the route is the same. One, the one that we've been using for for years. I saw a video the other day of the 1985 parade, mm-hmm. and it was on the same street. But <laughs> what you'll notice over the years is security improves, uh, coordination and collaboration improves, technology improves. From four years ago, think about what's changed even in your cell phone. Right. Uh, the, the technology that you can use to manage uh, issues and incidents that happen in an event like this have, have been uh, have been have in- changed so much. Because you worry that, you know, some fans think people can get a little out of control at a yeah. really fun, wild event like this. There's a certain element of crazy in something like this. Yeah. And, you know, everyone talks about the moment where a, uh, a vehicle made its way into the parade route, right, that last right. parade. Uh, that's something that I know we've all been talking about, even before I got here, of, of how to prevent something like that. And we're prepared for that sort of thing now. I guarantee you uh, we are going to minimize any incidents that may, may occur. You know, it's looking like it's going to be a nice day, too, Brian. How many people do you expect for this second Super Bowl parade? Uh, 10 or 12 million, probably. I think the entire Midwest is going to show. I'm, I'm, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, you know, say, who, who knows? We'll, we'll be prepared. We'll be prepared for whatever. We do expect many, many people to be here for this. Millions of people, hopefully. I mean, two, three, four hundred thousand, easy, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, that would be without question something that we can handle. You know, obviously, um, a lot of fans are coming from within the metro, but do you have any sense of how many folks might be coming from Topeka and Jeff City and St. Joe and Springfield, all those kinds of places? Considering that people come to town for Chiefs games in general— a regular season game for the weekend uh, from all over the Midwest. Yeah, we are expecting a lot of people to be driving into town, staying in hotels. I've spoken to a lot of people from other states way outside the Midwest who have said they're coming into town uh, for this just to be there for that parade. How do we keep people safe? A lot of <clears throat> a lot of coordination with uh partner municipalities and agencies, police departments from the entire metro region are going to be involved in this. We're going to have- So you're getting help. We're getting a lot of help. Hundreds of police officers will be coming in from other municipalities and and neighboring and partner agencies to assist with this. Uh, We've got equipment and resources coming from all over the place. The state of Missouri is also helping as well. Everyone is dropping everything and just making sure they've got all the resources focused on this one event on Wednesday. Which is kind of a neat thing to hear, that people come together at a time like this. It's so great. It's one of the things I love most about this city and this area is how much we all work together, how much passion we've got for the city, and how much we just want to do the right thing and, and, and do better for the city. 
Now, this isn't your first rodeo, the city's first rodeo with a Super Bowl parade. I assume that makes the planning process a little easier. Yeah. it's Instead of starting from scratch, we're starting from 2019 and saying, right. what could we do better? What could we do differently? So there was some uh, ease of, of just sort of conceptually thinking, like, where do we go and how do we start? That being said, though, as I said before, things change. We've got security issues, new technology that we're working on adapting and improving uh, for, for every part right. of this. You know, what time do you expect people to start showing up to stake out places along the route? I mean, I assume we're going to see people at 6 and 7 and 8 o'clock in the morning. We're going to be broadcasting Wednesday that morning down there yeah. as well. So, yeah. I, I mean, knowing the Chiefs fans here, probably in the next few minutes, people will start <laughs> heading in that direction. But, yeah. but uh, we will be starting to close down Grand Street and some streets in the area starting tomorrow. So it's already going to be a little bit of a mess down there for anyone that's trying to to be in and out of the downtown area. Just be careful, be mindful, leave a little extra bit of time. I was going to say, so if you're thinking about planning a, a, a trip downtown starting tomorrow, you're saying maybe think twice, think a little more strategically yeah. here because understandably things will be a little bit crazy. Yeah, a, a lot of that route will be will be closed off by Tuesday, tomorrow afternoon. Now, I know uh, no one cares about this, but how much does it cost to put on an event like this? It's a lot. Those buses alone are the biggest expense we've got. Hundreds of thousands of dollars just for the buses. Uh, the security component is another. We won't know the final cost until afterwards just because, you know, it, it's just a lot of on-the-fly kinds of resource allocation. But it could be well over a million dollars. I was gonna, And do you have that budgeted somewhere? I mean, how, how does that work for a, a something yeah. that you really can't count on the, happening? The city, the city allocated $750,000 last week to make sure that we had enough money in place, at least initially. Initially to, to get us uh, what we needed, but also after the fact, you know, we can sort of see where the dust settles and and see what what uh, what costs we've incurred, and then figure it out after that. Where does that money come from? What's not going to get funded as a result? Uh, the the city funding component is from NTDF. It's a tourism and entertainment mm. fund, so mm-hmm. it's specifically for events and activities just like this. It's for uh, NFL draft. It's for a big events like this. It's for small community events, and so it's not taking away from anything else in the budget. This is the events uh, budget item that we've got. Doesn't even take away from the NFL draft funding, it doesn't yeah, sound no, like. Yeah, the, the NFL draft, actually, we did have to raise money for separately just because of the size and scale and complexity of that event. Where are they, from private sources? We, we are allocating some funds in the city budget for that one. That's just wow. such a bigger, it's, it, that's a, you know, the, the NFL and ESPN, they're in town for weeks. We are closing down Union Station for a full week uh, to, to coordinate and collaborate with this event. It brings so many people to town for such a long amount of time and there's just a lot of logistics involved with that one as well so when it comes to the parade brian how much money does the city stand to gain from this we're talking about how much money we're going to spend to put it on but i was noticing the lines outside all the uh, apparel stores last night everybody wants chief's gear yeah. i assume people are in, a, are in a spending mood right now oh yeah oh yeah and and we will we'll triage afterwards i guess but uh you know the the economy uh, benefits greatly from events like this. People will go to restaurants more. They'll go to bars more. They'll buy more Chiefs gear. They'll just be buying more in general. They'll be in our in our re- restaurants and stores and businesses. So we've got a lot uh, to benefit from this sort of thing, well over the amount of money that we're going to spend, for sure. Put out that text line number again so that people can keep track of where they can get information about this parade uh, Wednesday morning at, starting at noon, you said. Sure. We've got a website that just went live this morning, Chiefs Parade. Parade.com. Uh, if you wish to receive text message alerts about the parade, text KC Parade, no spaces, to 888 777. 
Okay, that's City Manager Brian Platt of Kansas City. Brian, what a great time. Really appreciate you coming in and sharing all Thanks the details. Thanks so much. You bet. We'll be right back. Hurts has all day. Now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. That was the moment. So how did the Chiefs do it? Well, a big second half helped. So did a great quarterback and a great linebacker in Nick Bolton, who was making plays all over the field last night. Joining us now to talk about the game and to dissect how all this came together is KCUR sports contributor Greg Eklund, who joins us from Arizona. Greg, always good to have you. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. Did you get any sleep last night? No, I got some sleep. I'm a little more worried about you. I got some sleep. <laughs> also with us is KSHB sports anchor Haley Lewis. Haley, sure appreciate your time this morning, too. Good morning. Good morning. I can confirm I got no sleep, so <laughs> you can put that on record. That's where we're, we can all understand if Haley hesitates a little bit in answering some questions this morning. Greg, before we get into it, remind us of your score prediction for this game because I think you came awfully close. Well, uh, I was hoping that you'd be able to play the audio because uh, it would have to confirm the fact that my prediction was 38-35 Chiefs. Wow, wow, wow. Pretty good, Greg. (laughs) Haley, did you come that close yourself? I did not. I bet 28-21 Chiefs, so I was on the other side of that. Greg, how many Super Bowls have you been to, and what was it like to be in Arizona for this one? Well, this is my fourth, and um, the, uh, of course, the first one in Phoenix, in the in the Phoenix area. But uh, Phoenix has had some big events before. I was here for the Final Four in 2017, and they have the Final Four here uh, next year. But um, uh, I, it was uh, it seemed to be a well-run. Um, uh, you know, it's a massive undertaking. We'll see that with the NFL draft at the end of April. But um, uh, they seem to be well organized around here. Tell me about the spirit and, for that matter, the confidence of the Chiefs fans who were down there, Greg. What did you notice? Well, I, I think they feel like you feel, Steve, because I think I heard it at the end of that uh, broadcast last week when you said, We've got Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, if the game is close, you can't count out the Chiefs. So even if they were behind like they were by 10 at halftime, you still would not count out the Chiefs. We saw that situation repeatedly during the regular season. You know, Haley, we're going to talk a lot about Patrick Mahomes. Everybody does here. But i got to tell you, I've already mentioned Nick Bolton last night, uh, this morning. He had the game of his life yesterday. Were you expecting that version of Nick Bolton to show up? Honestly, with Nick Bolton, the thing is, this kid is so humble. And then you see him play and you think he's got to be arrogant, right? Because of the way he plays, how good he is, how aggressive he is. I always expect greatness out of this kid. I mean, it's his first Super Bowl. You got to remember, he's only a second-year linebacker. That's right. Uh, The the Mizzou-made kid is showing up. And, man, I I really thought that that was a catch. So the second scoop and score, in my opinion, should have scored for him or counted. But he's always ha- he's come up big in the clutch, you know, and he's come up big and down the stretch. And he's a guy who's continued to be essential, an essential leader. He took over at that middle linebacker position. He had the green dot as a second year, which is huge to take over for Anthony Hitchens last right, season. Right. 
kid is continuing to be mature beyond his years. And what's interesting to me, Haley, is that at least some commentators were saying that the linebacking core of the Chiefs was still a little iffy, not the kind of group mm-hmm. you you need to win a Super Bowl with. And that certainly didn't seem to play out yesterday. I know. What are they saying now, I wonder? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, Greg, the Chiefs offensive line kept those big, bad Philadelphia defensive linemen at bay. I mean, again, it's easy to overlook that, but you can't say enough about the play of the offensive line. Well, Haley mentioned uh, that Nick Bolton is only in his second year, and that's also true for two of the offensive linemen, Creed Humphrey at center and Trey Smith at right guard. So um, there is a lot of upside for these guys, and, and, and that's why the guys were not hesitant afterward to say, this isn't just this year. This is something that we expect to do down the road year after year. Again, Haley, the Chiefs ran the ball, and they ran it successfully against a very good Philadelphia defense. It, again, it speaks to how good that offensive line was last night. Yeah, and I think the thing about the offensive line is they go up against uh, probably the strongest front seven that they've seen all season long. And I, I believe that they'll easily admit that in this next presser that's coming up today. But this is a team that or the Eagles came in with 78 sacks in the regular season. That is the highest out of any NFL team. The second team in the NFL was the Chiefs, and they were behind by over 20 or 22 sacks on that stat. So the fact that the offensive line did not give up a single sack, they kept Patrick Mahomes safe. They kept him upright, especially with a bum ankle going into this. It speaks volumes to what the offensive line, especially after seeing Super Bowl 55, right? No one wanted the nightmares of watching Patrick Mahomes run for his life again. And I think that was essential in this win. And just the fact that they, you said the run game. I mean, who thought the Chiefs would have a heavy run game to see Pacheco. He's like this dirty high school running back. He doesn't ever stop. He keeps running as he's on the ground (laughs) almost. And you can't bring him down. And I love that about the kid and to see the future he'll have and, and the adversity he's gone through, I know he's lost his brother, he's lost his sister. Mm. You saw him on the field afterwards just soaking it all in for, for the people he's done this for. So the run game's impressive. It's also impressive to see what Jarek McKinnon has done. The fact that he they list him as 5'9", but I'm telling you, he's all a 5'7". And he's <laughs> able to break down these huge defensive ends and block for his players. This is a team-heavy chemistry team. And I think Juju Smith-Schuster mentioned it afterwards. We're young. You know, yeah. we are so young. Gray well, mentioned it, too. And two things, the limit. two things you just mentioned I wanted to ask you about. Pacheco, you just love the way he bounces up after a play. He's, off, he's up off the ground. His defensive linemen are still falling around him. And it just uh-huh. gives the team a lift, I think, every time he does that. He's just like a little energizer bunny, you know, yeah. he just does it quick. He keeps going and that's what you need in a running back. And, and I think that's what the chiefs were missing. And this is no knock on Clyde Edwards Alaire, but that's something that they needed to see. They needed to see more of that grit. They needed to see a kid who would extend the play just as we see Mahomes do all the time. And that's exactly what Pacheco has been able to do in his rookie season. And because he is so young, it's incredible to think about what he could be next year. And uh, Haley, was it McKinnon who had the ball, could have run into the end zone with yes, a, what, a minute 30, yes, but, stopped, slide. but stopped ahead of time. I thought, again, little things add up to wins. What a smart play that was. Yeah, and so afterwards he said on air that it's called church mode. They practice it every single Friday, 
And the, the, the fact that Andy Reid has been criticized a lot in the postseason for his clock management and things like that, it showed you he knew how to outcoach in the final minutes of that game. And it might not have been the way that everyone wanted to see a magnificent Super Bowl in, but I'm telling you, that's what got the dub, and that's all that matters, right? Getting the win. And for him to do that slide, keep it in bounds, make sure that the clock is still running, that is a veteran move. Oh, absolutely. Have that type of um, awareness, but also maturity, because the, the nerves, the crowd, everything's overwhelming. And sometimes you just forget to do what you're supposed to do. But for him to slide and extend the time that the Chiefs actually had the ball in that possession, that's what won the game for the Chiefs. Well, I was laughing because, you know, his foot went over the goal line, but the rule is the ball can't go over the goal line. Yeah. And, yeah. boy, he came really <laughs> close. But just the energy of that moment, the the adrenaline must have pushed him almost crossing that line. It was just such a yeah, such a great moment. Um, you know, Haley, I know you've got a scoot at 930. We sure appreciate you t- uh, taking some time with us this morning. KSHB sports anchor Haley Lewis. Good analysis. Haley, sure appreciate you. Thanks so much. Absolutely, guys. And the only reason I got to go is we have that MVP and, and coach presser coming up. So we're going to go chat with Patrick Mahomes and, and hear how he's feeling after Super Bowl. I wonder if he slept at all. That was my next question. Did he get any? <laughs> That's your first question today, Haley. I'll give it to you. Exactly. Here. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for again, me Haley. On. Sure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Greg Eklund, I, I can't help but wonder if you ever got an up close look at Patrick Mahomes ankle because any sense of what that thing actually looked like in the flesh? No, I can tell you, I did not get a glance because uh, he was uh, at the podium after the game last night, and uh, the podium was hiding his legs, so I did not see uh, what his ankle looked like, nor was I in the locker room because I was mainly in the uh, designated uh, news conference areas. But um, uh, I I could only imagine when I saw him limping uh, off at the end of the first half, uh, you know, I didn't know what we were going to get in the second half, but then he came out on the opening drive, marched the team downfield to get them right back in the game and, and really showing uh, ill effects on it. And then you're holding your breath toward the end of the game when he's running it and scampers for 26 yards yeah. uh, with the help of then, uh, again, the Chiefs, in their favor, they got a, a late penalty by the opponents, and, and that's really what kept everything alive for Kansas City and, and set up that winning field goal. You know, Greg, again, it's already been mentioned a whole lot here, but playing through a high ankle sprain like that is just beyond painful. I mean, that can hardly be overlooked here. Oh, no doubt. And um, he said himself afterward yesterday, he says he knew he's going to have the whole season uh, to rest it after yesterday's game. So he put it all out there, and there was no doubt for anybody who watched him that he had to grit through that and, and grit his teeth and and uh, and manage what, you know the pain that was uh, that he was experiencing through all that. But he made it happen, and, and, uh, and the Chiefs were winners as a result of it. Well, Greg, we've talked about the offensive line. We've talked about Pacheco. We've talked about McKinnon. We've talked about Mahomes and Bolton. Who else uh, st- stuck out to you last night for his play yesterday? Well, you know, I mean, there are a lot of young players and rookies overall on this team. And this was supposed to be the year of transition uh, where they accumulated a lot of draft choices. And uh, a lot of guys were in the learning process. And I thought just uh, overall, uh, the rookies, as they showed in the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati, coming up with some big plays and interceptions and takeaways, uh, I I thought they came through fabulously. 
yesterday. And this coaching staff really deserves a lot of credit for coaching them up. They knew what they were getting based on potential, but to have a 17-game season uh, and the time to coach them up and learn from their mistakes like they did with their last loss at Cincinnati during the regular season, they then they did not lose a game after that. You know, Greg, rookies are not supposed to even play in big games like this, and yet we had, what, six, seven, eight of them out there in the field last night? Yeah, yeah, especially in the, in the secondary, and that's, that's what I'm thinking off the top of my head more than anything because when you have a guy – Throwing the ball like Jalen Hurts was last night. I mean, his receivers made oh, some incredible catches. Incredible. And Hurts made some incredible throws. So no matter how well they played, uh, they didn't get down on themselves when they were burned for a touchdown. And the resiliency is really what you would have to admire about them, their ability to stay in there, hang in there, and uh, – a shrug off what had just happened and move forward. No, we talked to one of Philadelphia's big sports writers on the show on Friday, and he was saying uh, the extent to which uh, you know, Hertz was hurt going into that game. And it really struck me in the final play of the game that we just played the uh, audio of when he threw the Hail Mary pass. It wasn't much of a Hail Mary. He could only get the ball 30 or 40 yards down the field as opposed to, you know, 60 or 70 if he wasn't, his shoulder wasn't ailing like it was. Yeah, we talked about that, didn't we? Yeah. And, uh, you know, about uh, his ability to go downfield and uh, it was uh, it was very apparent after that last play. Arthur from Kansas City, Missouri. Arthur, it's nice to have you on the show. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. okay, what I want to say is the offensive line is very important. That's what allows Patrick Mahomes to do what he does. Uh, just like the old Cheese Dynasty, the offensive line, Jim Tyre, Ed Buddy, yeah. E.J. Howard Center, Moore Mormon, Dave Hill, and and also Otis Taylor. Uh, when uh, uh, the offensive line blocked for uh, Len Dawson when he was in the end zone on that playoff game to go to the Super Bowl four in Oakland. Right. The offensive line blocked for Len Dawson, and he threw a 60-yard bomb to Otis Taylor, caught it right on the sideline. That was very controversial, but that was a big play. Arthur, that was really impressive that you could you could tick off the names of those Chiefs offensive linemen from 1969. That was pretty good. Well, yes, sir, because that's how important that team was to us. Yeah. I appreciate the phone call, Arthur. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. You know, Greg, I also was going to ask you about uh, general manager Brett Veach because he was a guy who made the decision to pick up Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver, who scored a touchdown last night. He had another big punt return. Smart move, giving up, what, a third-round draft pick, a sixth-round draft pick to get Kadarius Toney. Very reminiscent of uh, the Royals when they got Johnny Cueto uh, for the World Series. And, yes. And, uh, you know, he was the missing ingredient that they got. Uh, I'm not going to say that uh, uh, that Kadarius Tony is, you know, was going to be the uh, uh, end all of acquisitions, but he was definitely an acquisition not just for the present but for the future because he's another young guy that the Chiefs will have contractual control on for a couple of years, and they knew his abilities and they knew his potential. It was a matter of keeping him healthy, 
And Chiefs fans saw what his abilities were when he was healthy. Great athletic ability. And we saw it on that punt return when he reversed himself Unbelievable! and went upfield to set up that uh, score. You know, he comes around, he, he gets bottled up on the left side, he runs to the right, and suddenly there's that wall of Chiefs players, and you're immediately thinking, oh, this is going to be a big play. You knew it before the, gate, the play was over. And incredible. And then, and then one play later, he's in the end zone uh, as the receiver on yeah. the touchdown. Let's go to Ron from Kansas City, Missouri. Ron, you're on the show. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. How are you? I well, Ron Finley, right? Right. Good to have you, Ron. Thank you. Look, I wanted to throw in a comment. We're all so terribly impressed with the game and how they came through and how they improved. But I want to throw in a comment about how much of an asset the Chiefs organization is to this community. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have in this particular group, they have a lot of young men. They just brought in and gave them a chance, and they proved it. But also, for many years, they have had this policy about the players being active and involved in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's probably still going on. And that, uh, uh, I mean, charitable organizations, uh, uh, partnerships with various organizations, and they're still going on. And they are such, I happen to believe, the Hunt family and, and what's going on with them. Not only the excellence in football, and I'm a former football player and coach, but the excellence in football, but what they are accomplishing and offering, because a lot of these young men hope to get there. Right, right. Hope, hope to get to be professional football players. I got a 19-year-old grandson who had that hope for a while. And this is such a, an example of uh, of of what that potential profession can be. I'm really and glad, think, really glad you, know, you pointed all this out, Ron. I appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much. You know, a lot of questions uh, asked last night, uh, Greg Eklund, about what happened at halftime to turn this game around for the Chiefs. Uh, the Star had a good story this morning saying that Patrick Holmes sort of lit up the team during halftime. Any more sense of what did happen during those crucial minutes? Um, I I don't know what words were spoken, but um, they knew exactly how much time they spent in the locker room because the halftime show, which I thought thought was a very good halftime show. Yeah, it was a really good halftime show. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, that was a 30-minute halftime. That was the time on, on many different fronts the team needed. They needed to regroup. They needed the trainers to work on that ankle for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they needed to talk to each other and uh, and get their heads straight going into the second half. And I I think with all that time, they achieved all of that going into the second half. You know, there was a big penalty toward the end of the game, a holding call against Philadelphia. The commentators were debating it. Uh, some called it questionable. Any thoughts on your end? What, what did you think of that penalty? Because it, it came at a crucial moment. I mean, the, the word used is a, a ticky-tack call, and I can't disagree. Uh, if uh, I mean, Mahomes called for it, yes, uh, and he sold it very well. Yes, he did. But um, uh, but that's one of those uh, that's one of those that you know, <laughs> you know if if it wasn't as blatant as uh, as as you would have expected in that kind of situation. Uh, but even even uh, the uh, the player who was penalized admitted, yeah, it was a hold. Uh, you know, they made the right call, but it, it's um, 
it's you know the the, the hole was made, but the level of it wasn't. Uh, it, that's what everybody questioned, yeah. and because of the situation in that game. Did you feel like the officiating had much of an impact on the game ultimately, Greg? Because there was all that speculation before the game that this particular officiating crew might throw a lot of flags. Um, it, it was actually uh, more to the Chiefs' benefit last night. I mean, the calls that the, the that were went against the Chiefs were obvious. I mean, Frank Clark jumped off sides one time that allowed uh, the Eagles to keep their drive alive, right. and they ended up scoring. And um, um, so, but but the key, the Chiefs were pretty disciplined in their efforts. I think they were very aware of the history of this uh, officiating crew. And again, I think that showed how much their heads were on straight and how much they were thinking, because you know they had to be conscious of that, uh, you know, in the heat of the battle, because uh, you know, with all things considered from the Chiefs' standpoint, uh, the calls were minimal. Greg, before you go, I've got to ask, and it's really not a fair question, but Patrick Mahomes himself was raising this point last night, saying we're going to do this again and again and again. I mean, on one hand, you wonder why not. What do you make of it? Do we have a dynasty in the making here? Because you've already mentioned how many of these players, how young they are, they're coming back again, that maybe they can keep this thing going a while. Well, they they certainly have the um, uh, the players to do it now and, and for the next few years. You wonder how many more years Andy Reid is willing to do it. Well, he's already uh, hinting was, that, yeah. Yeah, there was and there was some talk that was stirred up last night about that. And if and when he decides that enough is enough in, in the business, uh, you, you wonder, okay, uh, who takes over and, and how does that transition go? But uh, you can't just, I mean, uh, a lot of it was uh, uh, on Andy Reid last night. Haley mentioned earlier about uh, how much he was questioned earlier in his career about clock management, but that was classic yeah, clock management right. in the last minute last night. And to be crystal clear, Andy Reid seemed to end all speculation last night by saying he is coming back. Am I hearing that and reading that correctly? Uh, from what I read last night, the press conference is ongoing as we speak, so I don't know what he's saying this morning, but um, uh, but that's what he indicated last night. Okay. Well, so much to talk about here. That's KCUR Sports contrib- Contributor Greg Eklund joining us from Arizona. Greg, thanks for the rundown. Thanks for all your insights this season. Uh, very much appreciated. You're welcome, Steve. KCUR's Carlos Moreno was in downtown Kansas City for the Super Bowl yesterday and joins us now to give us some insights on what it was like to be down there as this game played out. Carlos, welcome back. Always good to have you here. Hi, Steve. Good morning. So what was the general vibe of what it was like in downtown Kansas City last night? Uh, my first impression, Steve, it was loud. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm stunned. Yeah. Very loud. I mean, I feel I'm, I might be a little raspy this morning, not because I was shouting with the fans, but I was shouting at them, having to ask them questions and trying to get their names and information. I was having to sh- try to shout over, of course, you know, the, the fans themselves and the speakers of all the uh, the TV screens and and everything that was going on. So I was having to work really hard just to be able to hear people. Yeah. I assume as you bounced around the city that the streets themselves during the game must have been really deserted, and then you'd walk into the Power and Light or wherever you were going, and it'd be a whole whole different scene. 
Yeah, you know, when I first arrived, I got to downtown Kansas City around two hours before kickoff, and and certainly there was a little more traffic than usual for a Sunday afternoon, but the streets were very quiet, and what I, what I finally calculated, and also from my colleague, uh, Beck Shackford Wangango over in Westport, people had gotten into the bars early and staked out their positions, and I mean, I was one of the places I visited was John's Big Deck in downtown, and that's three floors of, of bar and restaurant. And to call it uh, standing room only would be a disservice. Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm having to, uh, you know, uh, belatedly apologize to people for stabbing them with my equipment because I was just having to squeeze through yeah. human bodies just to get from one point to the other. And it was it was tough duty. <laughs> well, it's interesting what you say about the streets being deserted. I had this memory in my own career of being in downtown Lawrence during a, a NCAA championship game in the early 90s when the Jayhawks were playing. And I had to run from one bar to another for the story I was doing. And Mass Street was absolutely empty, not a thing moving during that game as I ran across the street. And I assume much was the same last night downtown. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you saw the random non-fan, I think, maybe walking their dog or maybe taking a break from the game, walking their dog. But yeah, it was pretty silent, like I said, before the game. And even, you know, during when I had, when, like you, when I was switching from venue to venue, I covered three different locations last night. And it was pretty easy to drive around. Uh, finding parking was difficult for a little while. Uh, but uh, But yeah, you're right. It was eerily quiet out there. Where did you wind up going last night? I visited three different locations. Like I mentioned earlier, I started my day at a, a, a bar called John's Big Deck. Like I said, three stories just packed right. with teeming with bodies. I also visited a, a, a church, uh, the, the Immaculate Conception, the, uh, the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. They have a ministry there called Morning Glory Ministries. They administer to the homeless. And they had a watch party for the, for the unsheltered community in Kansas City. What was that like? Uh, that was fascinating. I mean, though they they lined up very early, and then there were just uh, there was a very joyful occasion. It was very solemn. They're a little bit more subdued than your casual than your your bar fans, but uh, I mean, they were they're treated to uh, heaping plates of, of barbecue. They got dessert. They're doing raffles. They, were, they even gave them away customized T-shirts. That that church has a big gold dome. That's its that's what it's known for. Is that giant dome downtown? And oh, that's they had right. custom T-shirts with the gold dome on them and the name of the event splattered across the shirt and they're giving those out to, to many of the people who showed up and a big turnout for that event huge turnout they expected about 150 175 people they had well over that number uh so they they considered it very successful and and, and they're, they're just you know generally happy to have a little respite you know from from their troubles from being you know not being sheltered during the game so so they're very grateful to be to be in there and have a place to go and watch watch the event how much law enforcement presence did you notice last night Honestly, Steve, I did not see a lot of police at Power and Light in the immediate vicinity. I did notice in somewhere around the fourth quarter, maybe even in the third quarter, I looked down Grand Boulevard to the north toward the to, toward the expressway, and I saw a lot of police lights and fire uh, fire truck lights. And I didn't know if there was an event going on, but I, I think what, what I was seeing was them preparing to move into the Power and Light as soon as the game ended. What was it like when Rihanna came on during the halftime show? Uh, it was fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm accustomed to when halftime comes on, I see people leave the bars or go out for a smoke and and just, you know, kind of take a break from the game. No one left the bar wow. when Rihanna came on. I mean, I think I heard cheers 
as loud as a touchdown when she came onto the screen. People just were transfixed. Again, uh, the the bar I was in, people were people were squirming in their chairs, dancing in their chairs because there really was no room to stand. It was a great halftime show. I thought. I thought it looked great. I didn't even get to. I mean, I, I heard <laughs> didn't and see saw it. Yeah, <laughs> that little bit, and then I had to rush down to to Power and Light. So by the time I got to Power and Light, she was already off the screen. So what happened after the game? How did fans react? You know, Steve, I got showered with something. I'd like to hope it was ice cubes. <laughs> uh, I mean, there was just jubilation. People were throwing their arms in the air. Of course, drinks and, and everything else went flying into the air. People were hugging. People were just laughing and dancing. I, I know, our, again, our colleague, Beck Shackelford Wanganga, she had a great picture of people dancing in the streets in Westport. People had their phones in the air. Everybody was taking selfies. They were recording those last seconds. Everyone had their phone in the air. Wow. Recording those last seconds ticking off the clock on that giant screen on Grand Boulevard in Power and Light. Well, that's Casey Rose. Carlos Moreno giving us a sense of what it was like in downtown Kansas City last night uh, during the game and afterwards. Carlos, always appreciate it. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Steve. Thank you. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. Kansas City sports fans are well known for being passionate and loyal to their teams, especially the Chiefs. Over in Philadelphia, well, their fans certainly have a reputation for celebrating as wildly as any city in the country. After the Super Bowl last night between the Eagles and Chiefs, what were things like out there after the game? Joining us on to talk about it is Peter Crimmins. He's a reporter at WHYY, the NPR station in Philadelphia. He was out walking the streets of Philly after the game last night. Peter, appreciate you joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. Well, so how did Philly fans take the tough defeat, Peter? Well, at first, not not well. Yeah, they came into this game with high spirits. You have to I understand the, the, the Eagles had a tremendously good season. Uh, they won almost every game. We're just not accustomed to losing this year. And so uh, we came in, you know, uh, just expecting this to to be what we do, usually do is win, um, and then it didn't, and of course. Um, so everyone kind of I was I was downtown, in sort of the center part of the city uh, when the when the game ended, and and people were literally shuffling through the streets, getting home, um, sort of you know in in twos and threes and fours. Mm. Um, just uh, it was it, it rained, so everything was wet. Oh, and it was oh, really geez. depressing scene. I was just going to say. And people like staring at the ground, pans and pockets, just going home. Because this was not what you guys expected. That's your point, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, because every, I mean, the whole season, we've just, it's just been up, up, up. And, and suddenly it came crashing down. So it was, it was, uh, it was heartbreaking. Um, I, I have a clip, actually. Someone um, mentioned, uh, Veronica Pastors, she was walking around with her friends afterwards. And, and I asked her what it felt like. And I'd like to hear her. Sure. It's heartbreaking right now because I feel like everyone that's walking out here tonight is like really heartbroken. But, you know, we gave a good game. It was three points that they won by. Well, it was a good game. There's no question about that. Yeah. 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 People were saying they they uh, even, you know, uh, aside from the defeat, a lot of people said it was a really good game, uh, and and they were proud of their team. They thought their they thought the Eagles performed extremely well. 
some people groused about certain things, about calls, um, about some sloppiness on right. the field. But uh, but everyone thought that they were proud. They were proud of their team, and and uh, and, and unfortunately, they didn't pull it off. Did anything get out of hand in Philly last night, Peter? Not really. Spirits actually rose. I mean, uh, as I mentioned, people started shuffling out of bars, um, and as soon as the the trip. The way the city's set up, the stadiums are, are in the south part of the city, and there was a very big uh, watch party down at the stadium, and, and the trains bring you into the center city. So as soon as the trains arrived and people started unloading, the streets really filled up. There was a drumline band that started up, uh, getting everyone, you know, pounding out rhythms, chanting eagles, and it was the intention is to lift people's spirits. And so a crowd actually formed, thousands of people. This, uh, is, this is after the game you're talking about? After the about? game. After wow. People were actually, <laughs> there was a, a concerted effort to, to, be, to, to find a little joy, you know, in this defeat. And so people, there was dancing in the streets, there was music playing in the streets, uh, and there was a, a crush of people uh, right around the City Hall area. Um, people, wow. uh, people climbed poles. <laughs> uh, uh, before the game, there was something that got a lot of attention. The, the police officials greased I was poles, going to ask you that question. Uh, yeah. To deter people from climbing them, because Philadelphians apparently have a penchant for climbing poles. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and and even though and and so people of course greasing the poles doesn't actually stop people from climbing them. So yeah, people climb poles. People shot up fireworks. Um, it wasn't very. It didn't last very long. I mean, uh, the police came in and they they dispersed everyone. But but there was a moment of of some very high spirits happening. So how much fun was all this for you to cover? I mean, I know it didn't turn out the way people wanted, but was it good time during the game? It was a good side. It was. I I did some pregame uh, coverage before the game. As I mentioned, the stadium had a very large watch party with thousands of people showed up, and people came. And this is before the game, so everyone assumed you were going to win, and so everyone was in extremely high spirits. Um, it was. It was. I walked around and and talked to everyone. Uh, it, people. You had to stand in line to get into this thing. The line wrapped around the block, and everyone in line started to become friends with each other. You know, strangers became friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was that people from out of town flew in. Uh, one person I talked to had no connection to Philadelphia. He just thought, I want to be in Philly for the Super Bowl because I hear that's where it's at. Yeah. And uh, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm meeting people. People are so friendly to me. This is great. And so um, it was it was a lot of fun to do that. And then afterwards, uh, as I mentioned, immediately afterwards, after the game, people sort of walk around like zombies. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is going to be depressing to cover. Right. And then suddenly it all started to sort of liven up, and, and people had the streets to themselves. They, they had, the police had closed off the, the streets. They had uh, barricaded from traffic. Um, and so this, people had the streets to themselves, and, and well, they do what people do. Well, <laughs> they, you know, I, I know this is a cheap comment coming from a guy who's in the winning city, but I thought you guys have nothing to be ashamed of. I thought your team played great last night your quarterback was magnificent and uh as you pointed out you had a great year you did have a great year yeah yeah and and people are looking forward to next year and the year after i mean i I talked to some people saying there's no shame uh in how we played um despite the loss and uh they're certain that uh 
with this with this outfit, we're going to go places in the yeah. coming years. Well, KCUR and WHYY had a wager going before this game. Right. Our gift was to give you guys some Joe's barbecue. Had the Eagles won, but that didn't happen. No, but no. so WHYY is sending us uh, Joe's Philly cheesesteaks to us here at KCUR. Sure. Is that the best cheesecake place out there in your? Oh, view? that's oh that's I'm not going to step my toe in that. That's a heated debate whether the best cheesecake in uh, well, like barbecue is. out here, right? So yeah, yeah right, right. And I'm I'm I'm. I've, uh, I'm going to miss the barbecue. I, I personally, I've never been to Kansas City. I've heard tell of the barbecue there, um, uh, but I've never actually tasted it. So um, I'm going to have to wait till next year when we're going to mop up you know, Kansas City <laughs> to get a taste of that barbecue. Well, when you get out here sometime, look me up. I'll be happy to take you out. That's Peter uh, Crimmins again, being a, a good sport, reporting from WHYY, the NPR station out in Philadelphia. Peter, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancart. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening. <laughs>